This message was recorded live at the Ark Church in Conroe, Texas. I was raised in a very southern family. My, both my parents were born in Alabama, raised in Georgia. They're a little bit old school. I'm, I'm at the age now where I'm almost old school, but they were definitely old school. And in our home, there was a power word. It wasn't called the power word. It was actually called a magic word. Nothing happened without this word. And if I didn't use this word, I would not get fed food. And it was, anybody know what that magic word is? Please, exactly. It was please. Mama, can I have some Kool-Aid? She'd say, what is the magic word? Please. So I say it again. May I have some Kool-Aid, please? No, it's too close to your dinner time. But it was... <laughs> It was a power word. We were doing a series called Power Words, words that impact us, words that have an impact on our life. We talked about thank you. We talked about but, the three-letter one, not the four-letter one. It's a power word when you put it in the right place. This morning, I want to give you another one. It's called I will. Two words, power words, I will. I will is, is a power word because it indicates, and it's well used, because it indicates that a choice and a decision has been made. But we have choices, and we choose, and we make a decision. I will. You know, when you have choices, choices are empowering. There was a man who was sick. He was, had horrible symptoms for weeks on end. He, being like most men, refused to go to the doctor. How do you know men, we don't go to the doctor until things start falling off our bodies. Then, then we're like, okay, I'm going to go. He goes, and the doctor examines him and leaves him there in the, in the examining room and steps outside and asks to speak with the wife looked at the wife. He said, I am, I, I, I got good news, bad news. He said, uh, here's the bad news. He said, your, your, your husband has a very rare form of anemia that if it's not treated, he will die within a few weeks. And the look on her face got big. He said, here's the good news. It can be treated. He said, but here's what it's going to take. She said, what? He said, well, for one thing, he's going to have to eat a lot. So in the morning, you're going to need to get up early and make him a breakfast. Not cereal, not toast. We're talking bacon, eggs, grits, pancakes, orange juice, big breakfast said, then you're going to need to make a lunch for him. Not a sandwich, a full-blown lunch for him to take uh, in a cooler to take to work. And when he comes home, he's to come home to a, the old-fashioned meat and potatoes, a large home-cooked meal. And do, he, she said, he asked the, the lady, do you bake? She said, a little bit. She said, well, you need to bake a lot. You need to bake cakes and pies. He needs to eat these things, and he needs rest. So after dinner, don't let him do anything. Let him sit in a chair don't let him work. He needs to rest. And by the way, this anemia also has affected his immune system and the house needs to be spotless, not just clean, spotless at all times. He looked at her, he goes, do you have any questions? She shook her head. She said, no. He said, do you want me to tell him? You want to tell him? She said, I'll tell him. She walked in and she saw him and he saw her and the look on her face. He went, it's bad, isn't it? She went, he said, what did the doctor say? She burst into tears. She said, the doctor says you're going to die. <laughs> choices. You have choices. She made a choice. I will not do that for him. He, he's going to die. Choices also signify something else. They signify uh, uh, that uh, an intent. There is a persistent intent that's going to be made. Now, I, I do this every, uh, I, not a month goes by that I don't do what we call an office wedding. It's a wedding I'll do a lot of times on Friday afternoons and uh, we always tell couples, hey, if you're living together, you want God's blessings, we're not going to condemn you. We will marry you. Get the license, come in. I'll have you in and out. Express wedding. Ten minutes, it's done. But it's, it's a blessing, and, but I'm not singing. 
And the, the idea behind it is you're asking an intent. I would always ask the husband, I would ask the, 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 the groom, the, the bride, do you have this, th this woman to be your wife? Do you have this man to be your husband? And they would respond with, I do. Well, you can just as easily substitute, I will. I could say, Sparky, will you have Sparkette to be your wife, to, to live with her and love her as God intends with a promise of faithfulness, tenderness, and helpfulness as long as you both shall live. And she could easily respond and go, I will. And he could say, I will. Now, how many of you know that is so much better than someone saying, hope so. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> Sure, hope it works out. No, in a vow, you want someone to say, I do, I will, I will take you, because those words have power to it. Now, we know those words work just in, in terms of our life, but how about using those words on purpose to help us? We can do that. I'll give you a great verse in the book of Proverbs. And it's, it, we've talked about this, but this is death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Death and life. What, what do you mean, Alan? Death and life. It's it, very simple. You can speak death to something, or you can speak life to it. And if you'll use your words intentionally, you can, you can bring life into a situation, or you can use your words to kill it. I, I've, often, I've often talked about the fact that I, I've grown up in two what I call performance industries. I grew up in athletics, and I grew up in sales. Both of them are performance-oriented. And when I was in sales, I was in commission sales. No sell, no eat. And Joy, when I would leave the house in the morning, I appreciate this, she would often make a breakfast. I would take it on the road because I was traveling. I would take it on the road, but I always remember that she would look at me before I leave. She'd go, you're going to sell something today. God's going to help you. You're blessed. Now, how many of you know those are life words? How many of that's so much better than, dear God, Alan, if you don't sell something, we're all going to die in this family. <laughs> that's not good. That's, that's not good words. So you can use words to speak life. You can use words to speak death. If you've ever been involved in athletics, you know that when they're getting ready to gather around and all the, all the team puts their hands in, some, they usually get the most vocal person on the team, and he's not going... I don't know about this, guys. We could all get killed today, but let's go out there and maybe, maybe we can do the best that we can. You don't get to speak next week because those aren't life words. You need someone going, hands in. They're going to find out they're in a fight. They're up in our house now. This is our house. And when they leave here, they're going to wish they never stepped into this. Can I get an amen? Everybody go, whoo, and everybody jumps. That's who you need talking to you. You say, well, Alan, I'm not in sports and I'm not in sales, but you are in life. And in life, and no teammate. You, a lot of times you put your hand in, it's all by yourself. But then there's another hand that comes in over the top of it, and it's got a nail hole through it. You look up, and it's Jesus. And Jesus, Jesus said, what are you going to say? This is, this is Jesus. He said, what are you going to say? And you go, oh, Jesus, you, you, it's you, baby. You say something. He goes, no, what are you, I know what I'm going to say. What are you going to say? That's not when you want to go, I don't know if we're, I don't know if we're going to make it. Uh, it, it could be bad. Uh, things are rough. Do you realize who I'm married to? This is horrible. <laughs> no, with the Lord's hand in there, you're going to go, I will come through this. I will raise good kids. I will have a strong marriage. I will. 
And those words, instead of expressing so much death and doubt and uncertainty, we can use our words to express life. And our words do two things. When you begin to use I will, it strengthens your resolve and it sets direction for you. I will. You need I will. Now, I'm going to give you an example of a guy this, this morning who used I will the wrong way. His name is Thomas. Thomas is often known as Doubting Thomas. He was a disciple. Don't call him Doubting Thomas when you get to heaven because he might ask you about your life. And so here's Thomas, and after Jesus was raised from the dead, Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where his nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again. Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them, said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Jesus told him, because you've seen me, you believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So when Jesus is, is talking to Thomas, you say, well, Thomas couldn't help himself. No, Thomas had opportunities to believe. Thomas had heard Jesus say repeatedly, I will rise again. In fact, Jesus said it so much that even his enemies knew it. And that's why when he was crucified, they went back to Pilate that day and said, Pilate, we need to put a guard on this tomb because Jesus said he was going to rise from the dead and we don't want his disciples coming and stealing his body and saying he's risen from the dead. He said it so much that even his enemies knew it. Certainly his disciples did. Thomas had an opportunity to believe. He had an opportunity to believe the eyewitnesses. These were people he grew up with. These were people he'd walk with, he'd lived with. For three years, he'd been with these guys. And he could have easily looked at them and go, hey, Matthew, what about it? Matthew goes, I'm telling you, we saw the Lord. He's real. But Thomas made a choice. Thomas made the choice not to believe. He pretty much just folded his hand, and his choice is indicated by his words. He said, I will not believe. Now, he could have just as easily said, really? You saw him? Yeah. Remember he said he was going to rise from the dead? Thomas could have said, oh, praise God. I'll believe that. But Thomas said, no. He said, I'm going to wait till I have physical evidence. I'm going to wait till I can see. I'm going to wait till I can touch. I'm going to wait till I can feel. And when Jesus showed back up on the scene, Jesus did not praise Thomas or excuse Thomas. He didn't look at Thomas and go, bro, nice try. I know you tried. That was, I know. I know you were trying. He didn't say that. He didn't look at Thomas and go, Thomas, um, I know you couldn't help yourself. He didn't bless Thomas's heart. In fact, he said, Thomas, you need to put your hands here. I, don't you, I would not have wanted to be Thomas. When the Lord said, come here, Thomas. Come on, come here, come here. Put, put, your, put your hands here. I'm sure he's like, no, Lord. <laughs> I, we're, we're good. I don't, I don't need to do No, 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 come on. You said you wanted to see and feel. And then Jesus, Jesus said something. He said, you know who the blessed are? He said, the blessed are the ones who don't see and still believe. Now listen, I don't believe that story was written to embarrass Thomas. I don't believe the Lord said, I am so ticked at Thomas. Make sure this story gets in the Bible because that just really ticks me off. It was written for us to help us, our learning, our understanding. And so when you get to heaven and you see Thomas, say, Thomas, thank you. Your story helped me. Because it helped me realize I can make a choice 
I can believe without ever seeing or feeling. My choice. So let me give you three wills I'm, this morning. Three wills that you can begin to use. Now listen, this is simple and it will help you. It's simple and you can do it. I'm not asking you to do something difficult. I'm asking you to take something different because when you talk about words, we've gotten to the place where we just think words, well, they're just words, they're words. People use words all the time. The scriptures say words are valuable, they're important, and they have intent and purpose. And that death and life are in these words. So let me give you three life words to use this morning using the word I will. The first one is I will trust in God. In the Psalms, David said this, I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God, in him I will trust. Now David was a psalmist. David was a man who, who really, you're talking about somebody who had to trust God? David had to trust God for his life. I mean, he had, he had wild animals that tried to kill him. He had giants that tried to kill him. He had a crazy king that tried to kill him. He had enemies that tried to kill him. His own son tried to kill him. David is having to trust God just to live. But David also is a man that has a whole lot to say about God. And when you read the Psalms, you read inspired words that David says, and they're helpful words. He talks about who God is to him. God, you're my refuge. You're my fortress. You're my strength. You're my God. I will trust in you. So this morning, here's why I want to encourage. Instead of having to constantly express our doubts, and our uncertainty, we can speak life to our relationship with God and we can just simply begin to say, and you can do this, I will trust in you, Lord. Lord, I will trust you. I will trust in God. God is a help in my life. I will trust in God. And just saying that will help you. Just saying that will do something good for you. There's a man, if you're familiar with, uh, a man by the name of Felix Baumgartner. Anybody ever heard of him? If you're a skydiver, you know this guy. He's an Austrian skydiver, set a world record because he, he, he jumped from 24 miles up. 24 miles. Helium balloon, took him up in the stratosphere. He jumped. He, he's, he actually broke the sound barrier himself. If you look him up on Wikipedia, he looks crazy. <laughs> he's just got that look in his eye like, I'm crazy. Because if you're jumping from 24 miles up, you, there's a little cray-cray up in you. And he, he, he was getting ready to jump. You know what bothered him? He said what bothered me was not the jump, it was the suit. He didn't like wearing this, this pressure suit he had to wear because it made him feel claustrophobic. So he hired a sports psychologist by the name of Michael Gervasis. And Michael Gervasis was also another military parachuter who was a base jumper. Base jumpers are the guys who jump off buildings and then they parachute down. Isn't it funny? Crazy finds crazy. <laughs> and and so, but Michael, Michael Gervasius began to work with him because we had to get him ready for this jump. And here's what he told him. He said, first, he said we had to teach Felix Baumgartner, we had to teach him what they call combat breathing. How to breathe, deep breaths, calm yourself in the middle of, of, of a high pressure situation. He said, then he said something I thought was fascinating. He said, we had to help him develop a practice of self-talk. And I encouraged Felix to carefully choose the words he was going to say when he was talking to himself and talking to others about the jump. Now that makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, if you're getting ready to jump from 24 miles, you don't want to start saying things like, hey, I hope my chute opens. <laughs> hey, I hope I'm able to survive it. Those words aren't going to help you. But if he begins to say, I can do this, I can handle this, I will make this jump, 
What's he doing? It's just called self-talk. Again, it's performance-oriented. We hire sports psychologists to teach us how to talk. The Bible already teaches us how to talk. You may not be jumping from 24 miles up, but you might feel like you're in a free fall. If you are in a free fall, don't start saying, dear God, I'm going to crash and die. How about saying, I will trust the Lord. He is on my side. I will trust him. I will trust him. And that will do something. Just like self-talk did something for this guy, God's talk can do something for you. And you just begin to say what he says. I will. I will trust the Lord. Here's the second one. I will not be afraid. I will not be afraid. Again, going back to David in the Psalms. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? I will not fear. I don't have to share this with you, but how many of you know we live in a fearful environment? So much fear. If you do an audit of your words, how much of our words involve fear? I'm afraid, I'm afraid of this. I'm scared of this. I'm scared. So much fear. If you don't move by midnight tonight, it's gone. Everything is fear, fear, fear. But we have a relationship with the Lord. And we don't have to talk fear. We can speak life about our situation. Well, Alan, I, Alan, I feel so afraid. Yeah, but you don't want to keep talking that. What you want to talk is, the Lord's on my side. I will trust him. I will not be afraid. And just saying those words will help you. They'll help strengthen your resolve. They'll help to set direction in your life. Because when fear comes, even though feelings of fear can come, we have to learn to be able to resist it. That fear may be all around us, but talking it is not going to help us. I will not be afraid. David, who dealt with a lot of battles, you hear him talk about all the time, I will not be afraid. And later in the book of Hebrews, the writer said, the Lord's on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? I will not fear. You can say those words. I don't encourage you to say them to everybody all the time, but just in your own private time, in your devotional time. Lord, I thank you. I, I will not be afraid. I will not be afraid. When, uh, when Joe and I were in Bible school back in the 80s, the 1980s, um, <laughs> the, um, uh, we found out that we were uh, pregnant with Matthew. He was a surprise. He has continued to be a surprise. <laughs> And uh, we, uh, we went, we, didn't, we couldn't even afford a, we were really poor. We could not even afford a regular doctor. We went to like a, some, some clinic, some physician's assistant. And after they found that she was pregnant, we went back in a few weeks later and they couldn't find a heartbeat. And I'll never forget the look on my wife's face. I, I'll never forget it. I can tell you where she was sitting. I'll tell you what she was wearing. But the look on her face was utter agony. And, and the doctor, the assistant stepped out and he said, I'll come back. He said, but I'm going to see if I can get you guys in to the hospital so we can check on this. This was back, this is in the 80s. This is before they had all, all this stuff in the doctor's office itself. And so Joy and I went home. We prayed. We had to wait till that night. We went back in that night. We sat in the office. And uh, Joy went back there, and they called me. They said, Mr. Clayton, would you come? And I, I remember that I, I stepped into this room. Nurse didn't say anything. Nothing on her face that indicated we were in good shape here or bad shape, just totally neutral. Mr. Clayton, would you come here? And there was a, a, a curtain, and Joy was on the other side of that curtain. And I was about to step, and if I've ever heard the voice of the enemy, I heard it right then. And he said, you're going to see a dead child. And it, I, I, it, I paused. And you could just feel the, the grip of fear just grab you. I paused. Now, I could have stopped right there. I could have said, no, no, I, I can't do it. Fear has to be resisted. You can't just give in to it. And I, I remember, I, I actually said it out loud. I, said, I bet they didn't know who I was talking to. I said, you're a liar. And I stepped around the corner, and right there on the screen 
was little Matthew. He was moving up and down and moving all around there. That was a for, that was something a, a foretell of something to come because he, he was moving then. He was but he stayed moving. But it was he was moving. But I recognize fear could have stopped me. And what will help you in life is just simply to begin to say, Lord, you're on my side. I will not be afraid. I will trust you. I will not fear. I will rejoice. We have a choice in life. We can live dominated by our feelings and reasonings, or we can live ruled by our choices. There's a great psalm here that David, David says that it gives us a pathway. I will praise you, O Lord, with my whole heart. I will tell of all your marvelous works. I will be glad and rejoice in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. Listen, one of the keys there is I will be glad and rejoice in you. Do you know you can do that without having a single feeling to back that up? You can do that just because you said, I will. I will be glad. I will rejoice in you. My pastor was John Osteen. John Osteen was five feet, six and a half inches. Don't miss that half. He was six and five, six and a half, and he was pretty spunky, though. He went to, he went to buy a car one time, and he found a car he wanted, and, the, and he was getting ready to leave, and so the salesman gave him what we used to call in the car business a walking price. He wrote a lowball number on the card, handed it to, to John Osteen. John came back about two days later looking for that salesman. He was going to buy the car. Couldn't find the salesman. Had a big kind of a bully kind of sales manager. He said, oh, I'll help you. Cigar-chomping guy, just classic little, little John Osteen, big cigar-chomping guy. So John said, great, I want to buy the car, and this is what the price is. That salesman said I could get it. The guy said, oh, he started cussing. He just let a stream of cussing. God's name in vain, all other kinds of creative combinations. He just took off with that. And after a while, John Osteen heard enough. He stepped right up in the middle of that situation. He said, glory, 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 praise him, praise him, praise him. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Man stopped and said, what are you doing? He said, you're going to cuss him? I'm going to praise him. I demand equal time. And he said, uh, he, said that, uh, he said that brother went from being Mr. Profane to Mr. Sunday School teacher who, uh, who became religious all of a sudden. And, and by the way, uh, John Osteen bought that car at that lowball price. He, he joined the ranks of the blessed by saying, I am going to rejoice regardless of what I see or feel. Now listen, I'm not asking and I'm not advocating that somebody cusses and you jump up in their face and go, glory, 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 hallelujah, hallelujah. I'm not advocating that, but here's what I am advocating. When life comes its way, when fear comes its way, when trouble comes its way, instead of you backing off, why don't you just rise up and say, I will rejoice in him and be glad. I will praise him. I will rejoice and give him thanks. What are you doing? When you do that, you join the ranks of the blessed, the ranks of those who say, listen, I don't have to see or feel a thing. I will believe. I will trust. I will not be afraid. I will rejoice. Would you bow your heads with me just for a moment? Please, no one leaving or moving, if you will, just out of respect for the Lord and respect for the people around you. If you just stay right where you're seated just for a moment. If you came this morning and said, Alan, I don't even know if I have a relationship with the Lord. I'm not sure about that, or I want to be sure. Or maybe you're here today and you say, I, you know, I used to have a relationship with the Lord. I got so far away from him, but I want to come back. If either one of those situations pertain to you, we're going to say a prayer this morning. Now, this prayer, I'm not going to ask you to step out of your seat or come to the front or stand up. Right in your seat, right where you are, this prayer can make such a difference in your life now 
and throughout eternity. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. I'm only going to ask you to do one thing. If that's you I'm talking to, and you say, Alan, I want to be sure about my relationship with the Lord, or I want to come back to him. I've been away. Would you pray for me? I'm going to ask you to do one thing. Just, I just need you to shoot your hand up and say, Alan, would you pray for me right now, just across this auditorium? Say, Alan, would you pray? Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. Anybody else? Say, Alan, would you pray for me? Thank you. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Way in the back. Yeah, I see you. Anybody else? Thank you. Appreciate your courage. It's not easy to do. Anybody say, I want to join them? I want to pray? Great. You can put your hands down. We're going to pray. I'm going to do exactly what we said. We're not going to embarrass you. In fact, we're going to pray with you. We're going to pray this prayer out loud. Maybe you didn't lift your hand. You wanted to. You can join us in this prayer. It's a powerful prayer. We're talking about powerful words. This is a powerful prayer. We're going to join you together. Pray it out loud so you can hear yourself. Pray. Say, dear God, I know mankind needs a Savior. I know I can't save myself. Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And God raised you from the dead. Right now, I confess you as my Lord, as my Savior, as the one who forgives me and restores me. Thank you, Jesus. My past is forgiven. I have a relationship with you. I'm a new creation in Christ because I've said yes to you. Now, Heavenly Father, thank you for those who prayed that prayer, for those who stepped out of darkness into your marvelous light, and for those who've come back home. Father, we rejoice with them. Something good has taken place in their lives, and you have a wonderful plan for them. So, Father, we thank you, and for the rest of us, thank you that we can choose to trust you, to not be afraid, to rejoice in you, Thank you we can speak heaven's language here. Thank you there's life there. We give you all the praise for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message. For more about The Ark, visit thearkchurch.com.